Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Jen. We're just two run-of-the-mill casting directors looking to have a little fun while tearing down the curtain on casting, the process, and how the sausage gets made. So many misconceptions have come from outside sources, so we're here to clear the air and make sure everyone gets a full picture of all that goes into casting your favorite TV shows and films. All the while, we'll be drinking some amazing cocktails and spilling the tea on some of the most outrageous stories we've come across in our careers. Maybe we'll even bring on a few exciting guests along the way. Cheers! Cheers. Good morning. Good evening. Welcome back to Tipsy Casting. We are so thrilled to highlight our next casting visionary, Carmel Cochran. Carmel first cut her teeth as a casting director in 2012 on the acclaimed Daniel Wolf music video, Time to Dance, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Callum Turner. She followed this up with award-winning films such as Lilting and Home, and from then on, she's gone from strength to strength. Over the past 11 years, she's worked across film, television, and commercials and has earned a reputation for championing new and diverse talent. Her work on projects like End of the Fucking World, The Lighthouse, and The Silent Twins firmly cement her position as one of the most exciting British casting directors working today. Carmel has worked with Alex Garland, Emerald Fennell, Ronaldo Marcus Green, and Neil Blomkamp in the last year on their new project, as well as continuing her collaboration with Robert Eggers. Her most recent projects include John Wick, Chapter 4, Gran Turismo, Saltburn, and the much-anticipated Bob Marley, One Love. So grab a cocktail. Or a mocktail. And enjoy. Listen, we're we're so excited to talk to you because I feel like, first of all, your your work is amazing, and I think I, I'll speak for both of us. I'm in both countries that like it's so hard for any of us to break through in any capacity through like past the elder generation that when we see somebody who's younger and is not only hustling on on the 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 advert side of things, the theatrical side, and like excelling, we get very excited. Blushy. <laughs> but cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Hey, cheers. Yeah, cheers to that. <laughs> you even have like a proper champagne glass. I'm really impressed. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, grown up today. We'll just dive in because we're super excited to talk to you. But what are you drinking? Because that's always our first question. Champagne. And it's got some cordial in there as well. So it's a cocktail. <laughs> Ooh, love it. Amazing. I'm myself, I'm I'm doing a little bit rose this morning. So this morning. It's not morning. It's the afternoon at least. <laughs> I was gonna say, we're actually should, usually Jess is drinking very inappropriately, like 10 a.m. But she's always a champ and does it. But this is actually pretty normal for you. <laughs> what about you, Jen? What are you drinking? So I have a French red that I don't know how to pronounce. I'm gonna read it because like I said, it's pouring down rain here and I just ran over, but I have a funny story. And Carmel, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast at all, but um, I have a St. Chinian French red. I don't know. It was at, it's Tesco's finest. <laughs> but, so this is really funny. So I just moved into a new flat and um, our friend Leo came over for dinner the other night and I'm, I was obsessed with mulled wine during Christmas. And there was a really funny story we told last season on the podcast about how I tried to make it last year at my family home for Thanksgiving and it turned out horribly. Um, and so Leo came over for dinner the other night to like break in the new flat 
And he was like, do you know the Tesco, like right around the corner from you has a bottle of mulled wine? Like I almost bought it for you. And so I was like, tonight I'm going to do mulled wine. I'm going to go to the Tesco. I'll get the mulled wine, heat it up. It was so sweet. I couldn't drink it. I had to dump it. I was like, oh, I can't. So then I ran out again and just got a bottle of red. (laughs) So I tried. (laughs) Yeah. I remember buying like mulled wine sachet when I was about 16. It's not good. You know, uh, one of our listeners sent in a really good recipe and I made it with one of our, uh, one of my dear friends who also was a guest on last season and it was really good. But I think the thing that made it good was you on top of the preparation of the mold wine itself is you add brandy to it and it gives it, it like sharpens the flavor where it's not quite so sweet. I thought you were going to say that whilst making it, you were also drinking. So by the time... That was Jen's mistake the first time she tried to make mold wine. <laughs> I got too drunk whilst waiting for it, and then it all went to shit. But if you remember, Jess, I, I told in that story that my mom was mad that I wasted her good brandy on it. <laughs> That's true. I do remember that now. <laughs> uh, well, let's just dive right in. We know nothing about you besides your resume, and so we're super jazzed to... But we're big ad- admirers from afar. <laughs> I was with a friend over Christmas and um, she Googled me and like while I was sat there and it was all really awkward. And um, there's an article that kind of says, Carmel's really private and you don't read. And I was like, yes, nobody knows. It. <laughs> they got a few bits right there. And I was like, you know, like my daughter's name. And I was like, how do they know that? That's so weird. And who is this person? Very true. But we want to demystify the part of you that is your your origin story into this crazy industry that we've all willingly signed up for and and how you came to be in the position you are now. So my cousin, Manny, who I love dearly, was kind of like a, and I, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, is kind of like a bit a bit rogue, a bit naughty. He was really good friends with a director called Tom Norcliffe, who then became an agent. That's a whole nother story for another day. And so one day I was sitting at my cousin's flat in Chiswick and um, Tom asked me to go and take some pictures of some kids. I mean, it sounds really dodgy now, but and, and said that he'd pay me 50 pounds. And he wanted six pictures, specifically six. And um, I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. I was at college at the time. I lived in White City, on White City Estate. And so I just went downstairs one day and took pictures of all these children pretending to rap and labelled them left to right in different coloured gel pens. And believe it or not, I am actually so old that these kids didn't even have mobiles. So I had to take their like landline numbers. And so I'd put their name with their landline number in blue, and then the person next to them would be pink and the person next to them would be green, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, And I think I probably did about 60 pictures and put them, burnt them onto a CD and gave them to him. And the next day he said, oh, you know, you'd be a really good casting director. I was like, yeah, sure. I don't even know what that is. Told my dad, who, bless him, thought that Tom meant, you know, me in front of a camera <laughs> and was like, yeah, I think, you know, I think you should go and do that. Um, and then Tom's sister, a wonderful, wonderful woman called Belinda Norcliffe, um, called me and asked me if I wanted to go and work there. Is that the conversation? I mean, the conversation was weird. Maybe she didn't call and ask if I wanted to go there. I think she wanted to meet me. And so I went, I went to her house and I remember walking up and I lost my belt. I, it was like the Sienna Miller hippie days. Um, and I had on like a really cool River Island belt and somehow I lost it on my walk because I couldn't afford the bus or the train. So I had to walk from Shepherd's Bush. And so I got to her house and she asked me to write something and said, oh, you've got really nice handwriting. And 
I, I maybe answered the call, a phone call. And she said, yeah, you can work here. And so I did. And that's how I ended up in casting. <laughs> but I genuinely went into it knowing nothing, not a single, single, single thing. I didn't even know that it existed as a job. I didn't grow up really watching TV. Did you have any like designs to be in the industry or did it just really like happen? What, would, what did you think you were going to do beforehand? I was going to do fashion and then I went to, I, um, you know, when you start doing your career stuff at school, I went to the London College of Fashion, had an interview and I didn't get in. Oh, no. They said I was too academic. And um, <laughs> so then kind of somehow went to, a, went to a speech or a talk, I guess they're called. And um, a lady who I think is a really famous fashion person basically said, you know, put your hand up if you like clothes. So I was like, yes, me. And she said, um, not not direct, directed to me, but she said, you know, what you really need to realise is that there are some people who just need to go and get a job where they earn enough money to buy the clothes that they want. And some people are genuinely interested in fashion. And I remember at my interview, I didn't know anything about fashion other than what I liked to buy. And so I thought, oh, okay, maybe fashion's not the way. And then... Um, I went to Cambridge as part of like an aim higher thing at my college and um, got a Helena Kennedy bursary, but then couldn't afford to go to uni. So didn't go and was working in casting, getting paid terribly, but getting paid. And um, I just thought I'll stay and do this. I I didn't know anything else, but I just know that whatever job, whether it was casting, I, I once worked in warehouse selling clothes I worked in matches selling clothes whatever it is that I kind of got a chance to do I would always want to be the best at it and that's kind of how I felt about this from a very young age I kind of was well fine I'll do this I was 17 18 but I knew that I wanted to be one of the best wow that's awesome so she took you in and then like where did you go from there did you end up going out on your own after that or no did you transfer to somebody else's office I was going to nationals for ages um, with her and we had the best time she's a really wonderful woman she taught me how to be kind and how to not get really annoyed at things that I would I would get really annoyed if agents called and wanted to swap someone's time <laughs> and I sit there and go but it doesn't matter and I'd be like okay yeah no you're right it doesn't matter and so because she had no ego this is Belinda um and and just was was kind she kind of showed me that I guess at that time not everyone was like that um and she kind of set the tone of how I wanted to be as a person anyway then I went and worked so I was really happy there until I got a call from Lucinda Sison who asked me to go and work with us and so I went and worked there and uh, knew nothing knew nothing about film you know she'd call me and say could I check availability on Pete Postlethwaite and I'd be like how do you spell that <laughs> Eddie Marsa and I was like who I remember Dallas calling and I kind of say okay Dallas from where I actually think he put the down. I actually think he put the phone to it. I can't, I can't quite remember. <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. I saw an article um, in Teen Vogue that Chloe Moretz was in. And so I, I had the ability to kind of recognise certain people in given really small instances and think that there was something there. But I guess I didn't really know what I was talking about and certainly didn't watch anything. So I lasted there for about five weeks. <laughs> And so I'd left like this really lovely family run business and um, got 
fired or left or, you know, whatever the story is. Then I <laughs> went for an interview at the BBC um, and I remember the three casting directors sat there and I wore these gold Chanel shoes and I could just see them looking at my shoes the whole time. And one of them asked me how I'd got from the station to BBC at Elstree. And I said, oh, I got a cab. But I didn't mean to be glib or flippant. It was kind of, I got a cab because I got really curly hair and I straightened my hair that day, <laughs> like today. And it had absolutely poured with brains. So I think that they had probably never, I think I was just a bit too much for them. And I remember one of the questions they asked me was, you know, what do you do when there's a problem? And I was like, there's never a problem. But that is still kind of my mantra today. There's always a solution. There's always, it might not be immediate or it might not be nice or easy, but there's always a solution. Anyway, so then I didn't get that job. I got a rejection letter, which I still have because I'm moving house and um, I found it the other day and I was going to post it on Instagram and thought I probably shouldn't do that, which asked if I wanted any feedback. And I remember being livid at the time and being like, so you're not going to give me the job and you want me to have feedback. You, you want to tell me why I didn't get a job. You're so anyway, I didn't. I didn't ask for feedback. And then I set up on my own. Not many people know this. Because I was doing commercials at Belinda, I had a really a couple of producers that I really liked and got on with. And um, there was one producer called Carlos Downey, and he gave me a couple of jobs. Um, and I did those on my own. But it was, I mean, I must have been about 21, 22. And kind of was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Totally did not know what I was doing. Um, then I got a call from Nina Gold. And I remember this really specifically because I was sat on my sofa watching Stardust, being like one of the only films I've ever watched. I mean, I guess I've watched more now, but I really remember that at the time. And um, I don't think it was her, maybe it was Robert who called me what, and, you know, just said, am I available? And I started doing little bits for them and then went to her house brought her chocolate brownies and we were talking about her curtains and which curtains she should up um and I started working there and I worked there for I think three years and then left (laughs) (laughs) I think we all know that smile (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) it happens it happens I don't even think that I necessarily um, wanted to. No, well, I definitely didn't want to set up on my own. I think that I had met my boyfriend, who's now the father of my children, and just didn't want to be in the office all the time. And was kind of, oh God, how am I? Yeah, I was 24 and just really tired. Working really, really intense hours and kind of, I was just at that point where I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd never really taken holiday. I'd never really traveled. I hadn't really done anything. And suddenly all my friends were kind of having fun in their part-time jobs and meeting for lunch and going and playing crazy golf. I mean, I would not play crazy golf if someone paid me, but it was the idea that they were all having fun without me. But then I kind of thought, well, I do like it and I am good at it, I think, and I can do it. Um, So I set up on my own very quickly and was a bit contentious, but here we are. <laughs> Fine. People can get over it. I love it. So then how long have you had your own uh, company? 12 years. Oh, I missed my 12 year anniversary. But yeah, 12, 12 years in the October, October. Time. These last few years just kind of slipped away somehow. So... <laughs> And what I what I really loved about the way that I did it and everything that happened was that I went back to just doing commercials. That was what I love. I still love doing it. I think people are really surprised when I say I don't prefer one or the other. That I just 
I've got a brain that can do quite a few things at the same time. And so um, I started doing commercials and music videos and was really, really enjoying it. Fashion, for, you know, and that kind of tied back into, I did some stuff for Burberry. I was doing stuff for um, Argent Provocateur and it was really fun and I could just do it as and when I wanted to. And suddenly it started to build really quite quickly with the commercial stuff. And then, just trying to think, I think I've actually got kind of amnesia. And then I met Dominic Buchanan, who is still a really dear friend of mine. We've been texting all night, actually. Um, him and our other friend, Rachel. And we had gone to the theatre. There was this kind of group of us, I think about 12 of us. And we'd gone to see um, One Man, Two Governors. It was James Corden. I still remember it. And so there was this group of us and Dominic was there. And he was we were on this group email and I saw his email and he had this sign off with this film called Gimme the Loop. So I emailed him and said, oh, send me a link to your film. And he replied and was like, you can go to the cinema and watch it like everyone else. Or, or like you can pay for it, whatever, buy it on iTunes. And I was like, oh, this guy is so rude. Um, and then he was doing a film called Lilting. And I think some, I think they had a casting director attached and it didn't quite work out. And so I went and met and then that's how I got lilting. And then it all kind of went from there. And so you still mix, because I find it so interesting since moving, I moved to London last year and in the States, it's very like almost taboo to like cross in between commercials and film and TV. So coming here, even just like probably two months ago, I was meeting with a friend of mine who's a producer here and she's like, do you want to do commercials? And I was like, can I? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, casting directors over here do it all the time. And that's so fascinating to me that I've even started to dip my toe in that that water. And I think that there was a world, you know, especially where people just you either did, you did commercials or you did TV or you did theater or you did film or, and it didn't, you didn't really cross around. But I, a lot of the people that we cast in the, first series of the end of the fucking world were commercial actors that I've known for years and it was so much fun and so I think because I'm seeing we're just doing a tv series at the moment and we're and we're looking for 16 to 20 year olds I see them all day every day in commercials when I'm doing you know a Wrigley's chewing gum or a coca-cola advert so it's just it's a really easy cross it yeah yeah I just started doing some commercials over here and I think there's they move so fast. They're so fun. It's all, it's also really cool because I, I don't know how you set it up, but I set up like a Google Doc so that the the client and the director can make notes while we're doing the Zoom sessions because we're still mostly not back in person here. And to, to see the notes that the clients put on the document, it's such a different um, set of skills or like, I don't like how she chews. I don't like, you know, it's so bizarre, but it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. And I think that it's a completely different craft and a different, yeah, a totally different skill set. But that doesn't mean that the actors can't do it. It's just, it's a, we work in a different way when we're doing commercials to, to how we do when we're doing film and TV. But I genuinely enjoy both parts. And a lot of, you know, I was working with Rain Allen Miller. I did Rye Lane. I started working with her on short films and commercials. Um, Jonathan Entwistle, we did commercials together. Just a lot of, yeah, a lot of great directors come up through commercials and music videos. So it's a good place to sit. And I just don't think, yeah. But also, I think people will sit there and look at maybe my film and TV. I I've had people say it to me before, you know, you pick so well. And it's like, well, because I my main income comes from commercials, so I can afford to not do maybe all the TV and film that I get offered and be a bit more selective, which is a really lucky and fortunate place to be, but it helps. <laughs> Yeah. So because you sort of fell into casting in this way, what have you what have you discovered that is your favorite part of the process, both independently commercials and theatrical? 
Um, I think that I know nothing, which actually really helps in the sense that I haven't tried to be an actor. And that's not any disrespect to anyone who's come up that way at all. It's just I can't act. So <laughs> I've got utter respect for anyone who comes in and does it. I think, I, think, I think everyone's really good. It's very rare that I will ever say anything bad. I think everyone's base level good. Um, I think because I didn't know this industry or, you know, I just don't really care so there's no ego there's no um yeah I'm you know I get fancy pants directors and I just talk to them like this and get on zooms with heads of studios and ask them what they ate for breakfast I mean I genuinely really do that because I get really nervous and I live in constant fear that people are going to find out that I don't really know what I'm doing so I just talk nonsense and hope that that distracts from me having to answer anything that has to do with the job I think that a big part of that is you know where you where your first lay that foundation in that office that you started initially that they that they had no ego that she was showing you that it's there's no reason to get annoyed with the little things and I think starting your career with that framework and I can say the same thing for myself like I started working with April Webster and I worked for her for seven and a half years and for me learning growing up in an office that the number one priority was always to make sure that the actor feels safe to be vulnerable that laid the groundwork for me to always make sure that like even now that I'm on my own for the last seven and a half years it doesn't matter. Like that's the number one priority. So I think that's probably the same for you that you didn't grow up in an office that had a big ego. You didn't have, you know, that was, there were certain priorities for you and now that's who you are as a person. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I've had fun, you know, I have fun. I genuinely wake up every morning and I'm like, oh, great. I don't have to, you know, I don't know, do some other job that I, I did decide the other day that I would have been a really, really good hedge fund person. <laughs> I feel like I just feel like I'm attracted to money. And <laughs> <laughs> but also, it sounds like you thrive in a high stress environment because for you, it's not a high stress environment. I really do. And actually, I've been having therapy and um, I think that I constantly am in flight mode. Fight, fight or flight, fight. I, I don't know. I'm in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I would say fight because flight is you just run away from the problems. <laughs> uh, definitely fight. Definitely fight. Um, I think I'm just good at problem solving and I like doing lots of things at the same time. And I never, I never want an easy life for various different reasons to do with the way that I grew up, but I just am super ambitious. And I don't think, I think as women, we've always been taught not to say that. And I just admit it. I'm really ambitious. I want everything. I want to make the most money in the world. I want a huge house. That's it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm like Oliver and Saltburn. I'll eat them all. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think that is so important because just to even talk about that as, as women, because, I, you know, I've built a life for myself and I sacrificed things along the way to make sure that, you know, I was very fortunate in the way that the abilities that I had, the privilege that I had going into saving money. And by the time that I was 26 years old, I had a condo. I was able to buy a, a something for myself. And I always, and I'm still a single woman, and maybe this has something to do with it, that, that men can't handle it or whatever it is. But like, even my dad told me, you know, maybe don't mention that you have, that you have your own place uh, when you go on dates. And like, maybe you don't do this and maybe you don't do that. So you have to minimize yourself mm -hmm. in order to make someone else feel better, which I have never subscribed to that, that, uh, you know. I was at a party recently, and I really want to say this publicly because I think this story has gone around <laughs> quite 
quite infamous. So I was at a party recently and I came, I went downstairs and I went outside. I, do, I don't smoke, but I, I just went outside with an agent who was smoking. And there were some people who worked in casting who shall remain nameless, um, who, who, who are lovely. And they said, oh, I hear that she has a house in London and a house in the country and she earns millions and she's got Gucci bags. And I walked past and said, oh, um, are you talking about me? Ha, 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 ha. Um, turns out they were. And so when I went back, <laughs> turns out when I went, when I went back, I was like, oh, I don't have Gucci bags. I only have Bottega. And I was totally joking. I mean, I, like totally joking. But part of me was just like, well, actually just ask if there's something you just like I'm here just because I'm really I, I you know I do there are a couple of us who are really good friends and I do share how much I earn and I tell people what I get paid and I don't care because I feel like let's all get paid and let's all make loads of money and all off happily yeah we're big proponents of that honestly because we I think especially I, I will say like coming from LA it was like close-knit network until I met people like Jess because it's like the only way I knew what casting director should get paid is because my last boss before starting my own company didn't do her own contracts. I did them for her. And so I read them and I was like, oh, this is how it's structured and this is how much you should get paid. But I feel like there's some weird like unwritten rule. And I'm learning it a little bit more since moving to London of like, there's maybe a little bit more secrecy behind there. But even agents who rep casting directors have told me, they're like, Jen, just call me and I'll tell you if it's right or if it's not right. And it will we'll compare because we have numbers. But also it's just like, why wouldn't we tell each other? And then you can raise the bar just like actors. You know, we want actors to get paid more. We all want to get paid more. And that's not to say that we get paid badly. We don't, but it's let's let's make ourselves valuable yeah. and put attach worth to the job that we do i was recently talking to an agent over here who reps a casting director who i won't say the name but they're very sensitive about it but um they were telling me i'm trying to say pronouns here so that i'm like not getting not getting them in trouble but um they were saying that in a deal they were doing for their client who's a casting director for the first time they got pay or play for a casting director and he's like I also rep these other casting directors and now I can use that as leverage and I was like that is the first time I've ever heard of a casting director getting pay or play and I was like please let I'm so grateful you told me because I'll use that because I negotiate my own deals here yeah and certain certainly there are jobs where I just I mean I yeah I walk away I walked away from a job that I really wanted to do because they wouldn't pay me anywhere near my quote it was low budget fine but not even near my low budget quote and they wouldn't give me back end and then I thought well Right. Good for you. Good for you. That's inspiring. But obviously that's coming from a place where I can do that and I could do that. I regretted it because then strike happened. And <laughs> <laughs> I wish that I had uh, the humility to um, claw myself back and ask that. I'd be like, oh, actually, it's just joking. But yeah. Yeah. I always, I like to talk about also just because as I get to know more casting directors within the, in the global community, because we talk about it all the time amongst ourselves of, of how supportive or the, the level of mentorship that exists within the casting community or in our case doesn't exist. And so it's like, I think it's uh, demystifying for those who are trying to get into casting or are understanding sort of the things that we deal with along the way because we talk about it all the time that there was sort of like a certain bill of goods that was sold to us at the beginning of our journeys of, you know, you tick all these boxes and then you'll be received with open arms to the streamers, the network, the whatever it is. And I feel like th that probably doesn't exist. It definitely doesn't exist here. Curious what that experience is like in the UK. I would say 
let me think about how I say this. There was a time where when when I first started, I guess I was one of the first to kind of break away. Everyone was horrible. Point blank, everyone was horrible. Well, that I kind of came into contact and some people I didn't know at the time, so I can't vouch as to how they would have behaved. But it it wasn't necessarily um, arms wide open and welcoming. I've certainly never been past jobs where I know other people have um until I started to meet a few different people and then like Leo and Lissy were really kind and would put me forward for things but I never worked with them so it it was a different time yeah I feel like it takes people who see themselves in you and like that struggle to be able to recognize the or or for their willingness to share even though because I have a lot of experience in the sense of you know people will send me things I'm just going to generalize it as people, but it's usually something that it's unfinanced and doesn't have a future, really, if we're really calling it what it is, but it's never the things that they actively pass on. So it's, it's enough so that you're not a direct threat. Uh, And I had this exact same conversation today with something that happened. Things, things will change. Yeah. So I'm curious because I'm, since I'm like, a year into London, and I'm I'm just now understanding the casting landscape a little bit, not even like fully by any means. But I feel like there's an interesting dichotomy of like you have your old school Listen to Sisons, Nina Golds of the world, and then you have you and Sophie and Kelly who are doing really well of like the next gen, and then you have this massive gap. And this is what I've just been told as an outsider coming in because everyone's like, there's no one underneath you guys to take the jobs you guys can't take or not available for. And then it kind of created a little bit of a vacuum to where, and I've met a couple of them at events and I'm not going to say names because I'm sure they're lovely humans, but they think they're casting directors, but they have no idea. And you're like talking to them and I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. I thought you said you were a casting director and they don't know how to do deals. They don't know like basic casting Oh, but then in fairness, I can't do a deal. I'm I'm horrific at it. I'm like, yeah, it's not my money. How much do you want? Yeah, sure. Go to the producer. <laughs> but you know the rules. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I think that there is space for everyone at whatever part of their path that they're on. What I think has been really great is going to like Plovdiv for subtitle where there's a big group of us that go and actually just meeting people. And so when I say that people weren't nice in the beginning, it's because I wasn't part of that community. So maybe they were. I just wasn't, I didn't I didn't know them, you know, nobody reached out and why would they? Now I would say that a lot of the people who kind of get almost tarnished in that old school way, some of them are actually really nice, like and reach out and are really helpful and kind. Is it because they realise that they have to? Probably. I don't know. Um, maybe, who knows? Then there's, you know, people like Kelly, Theo, Lauren. We're all really good friends. Oh, my God. The dream. Like, and I don't, and we we definitely go up for the same jobs, but we text each other. You guys suggest, you should just start like a powerhouse casting company that has all of you I love Theo I love Lauren they're wonderful Theo and I work together and asked Theo she would never ever sit in the same office as me again <laughs> I think I used to be mad when I was in years. um but I think it's really nice because everyone's got their own strength and their own amazing qualities that make them really good at the jobs that they do. There are certainly jobs that I, you know, I, I got sent a job a couple of weeks ago and wish I'd taken it just for the money. But I know that I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I read it and I knew that I couldn't do it because it's just not my thing. It's not my world. It's not something that I would watch. I just know that I would zone out after the first week and they'd be calling me and I just wouldn't pick up. <laughs> 
And that's not fair because someone else could do the job and do it really well and really, really run with it. Um, I think that for years, the training wasn't there. The, the, you know, you learn on the job and you learn by the person that you worked with osmosis of what they did and you took away bits that you perhaps liked or didn't like um but now so Shaheen's got and Gina have got the NFTS course and we've got a wonderful girl with us called Sophie who's worked and trained and she's teaching me things so it's actually quite sick circular circular <laughs> can't talk cyclical cyclical <laughs> So I think that, you know, and I think someone said the other day, oh, well, they've got all these training schemes and now there's no work. It's like, there'll, there'll be work, it'll all be fine. It's a great skill, even if you don't go into casting, even if you segued into producing, but knew how to cast, that makes you a really good casting producer. That's just different. Yeah, we have sort of a unique situation here because, so Casting Society, they have a education program for assistance and that is more sort of like the administrative side and understanding how the yeah. casting office runs but you know <laughs> when we were when we were coming up in it it's like you had to have it by osmosis you had to listen to those conversations you had to learn from people that were actively casting and that's really the way that you do it but for us the problem is is that we're still not back in offices we're not going back and how do you learn via zoom you don't because it's all scheduled and also how do you you overhear like I know that I take great pride in you know being nice but we're firm so if a producer calls and kind of pushes on something or if a PM calls and says tries to get us to do something that is very clearly their job I'll just grab the phone off of whoever it is in my office and I'll be like I'll tell them and I think that that's allowed everyone in the office to kind of know what I find acceptable and what I don't and so now they will just but exactly as you said that's because I'm there but I don't live in London anymore so I spend two days at home and things go all sorts of wrong and and half the time it's because I'll mean something else when I'm writing it but then I'll get distracted (laughs) and like Lorcan sent me a message today and was like what do you actually mean and I had to voice note I couldn't explain it and it just wasn't coming up I was making spelling with it you know I was walking and getting soaked in the rain but it it's really important to to be together Yeah. And I think it's also like half the battle is when you're coming up specifically is managing personalities and being able to see what that's like. And, you know, working in an office where sometimes the casting director is working on multiple projects and a a big part of the job is managing that person and making sure they know where they're going and what they're doing. And all of those elements, I think that helped me as a, as a now casting director to be able to handle different producers and the studio executives and all of those things that I I worry for the next generation of of casting support staff even and it's also knowing it's knowing what each different studio wants for years I really struggled because I just could not understand the process and then 10 years later it suddenly clicked and I was like oh they just want to know what we're doing weekly updates okay fine why didn't they just ask (laughs) right I went for dinner last night with some, I moved to the country and I went for dinner with some really nice mums and um, they were like, right, so talk us through Saltburn from beginning to end. And I was like, oh, well, in the film, they were like, no, 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 the casting process. So what, and I, and I just realised that people really don't know what we do. And they thought, they thought that I'd just cast like the extras. I was like, no, it's everyone, everyone. Well, to be fair, we kind of did this podcast because nobody, it's so funny how many times we get asked, like, so what do you ask? like by producers or people who are like not just ran not by my mom but like by producers who are like so what do you actually do like we hire you but like we don't actually know the process and we're like let us lay it out for you so now tell us from beginning to end Saltburn. <laughs> 
was Barry attached when you came on board or like, what was that? No, nothing. Okay. I got a call from MRC. I, I feel like I've got a tendency to um, exaggerate and elaborate. So I will try to keep this as close to the truth <laughs> as memory will allow. <laughs> I think I got a call from MRC who said, we've got, are you available? We've got this script from a really amazing female director and definitely specified female but can you read the script really quickly so I'm on my kind of commuter train home trying to download Embershot I'm a technical idiot um trying to download Embershot trying to and like at this point it's seven o'clock no one's in the office and I will not normally email them and be like can someone help me it's just I try and work it out so worked it out read the script and I'm on the train and I'm reading it and you know so this is my laptop and I'm like da, da, da. <gasps> My laptop anymore, and then I'd like open it back up again, and I'd be like, Okay, did that just happen? And the man next to me must have thought I was insane. And I remember, and I'm and I'm not joking, I got off the train, and you got to run up some stairs. Well, you obviously don't have to run up the stairs, but I ran up the stairs, ran through the barriers, got in my car, stuck to the legal limit, but got home very quickly because then they wanted me to do a zoom with Emerald. So she gets on, and we zoomed for maybe three hours, and all I spoke how much I understood Oliver because I had so the reason that I sound posh I I had got a scholarship to a private school but I was from a you know normal working class household and so I really really understood Oliver and it was just kind of there wasn't a moment where I didn't think I was doing the job so it, it didn't feel like it was a pitch or like I had to it was just I'm doing this whether you think I'm doing it or not, I'm doing it. And then I got the job and then I just remember every single day, and I'm really not exaggerating, every single day the producer would call. I, w- I would think that I was going to get fired. I wouldn't even put it on my IMDb. I wouldn't even really tell anyone I was doing it because I just had this fear that the best job was going to get taken away from me for some reason. Um, and it didn't. <laughs> I stayed on till the end. Is there anybody in that cast who like just has a cool casting story that like... Lots of them. Like, so Alison Oliver, we had had a Zoom about six months earlier. I'd never seen her audition, just had this chat. Hadn't seen conversations with friends because it wasn't out yet. So as you do, you make your lists and I put Alison at the top. She did this audition. It was really good. But obviously there were people who one goes to first. And um, I was just like, but Alison's the real deal. She's incredible. Just listen and eventually eventually can i tell you though like i've i watched conversations with friends and then i watched Saltburn, and i was like these are not the same person this is night and day but i had relations with friends to know what she could do i didn't i'd never seen her act before i just no understandable i just i when i was watching it i was like this this cannot be the same actor because I, honestly I, i'll be super transparent i didn't love conversations with friends I feel like it fell very it fell flat for me it, it just it didn't grab me the way that normal people did being the same you know author in that way and then when she was on on the screen for Saltburn you could not take your eyes off of her like that was incredible casting we were trying to sell her through and so then we got like I think some sneaky leaks of conversations with friends and we sent that and that didn't tip the needle for anyone and then she came in and did her kind of chemistry with Emerald and I and we were both just like <gasps> and there's another scene that isn't so she does these two huge monologues in her audition one of them doesn't make it into the film and I've never been so silent I would I would I would probably say it's one of the best auditions 
the second kind of comparable being Lily Rose Depp when she auditioned for Nosferatu because I really didn't think she'd be able to do it. And I was in tears by the end of her audition. And wrong. I was so wrong. And th- I think that's another really important thing about being cast in shows that we're not always right. But we don't have to be. And I'm happily proved wrong. I just did a series recently where one of the leads, the idea came from the exec I guess or somebody not me and the producer said you know you've handled this really well and I was like handled what you've basically taken one big piece of casting that I'd really like to not have to do and done it for me (laughs) happy day and it's great like it was a good good idea so So that was insane Jacob Elordi's audition he he auditioned um that was a great day he was very good Yeah, he's huge. I I auditioned him way back when. Uh, he had li- like I always say he's like fresh off the boat. Like he had just landed in LA from Australia. It was like one of his first auditions, and he walks in. He's just massive. You're just like, wait, you're an actor. <laughs> to be fair, like most actors are quite short, <laughs> and so you kind of are used to this like perception of like they're gonna walk. You have this, you know, it's a Tom Cruise. Like you think he's gonna be really like cool and manly and all this stuff, and then they walk in and they're like five foot two. <laughs> We have this awful thing. So I'm really, I really tried to be respectful to actors and not have, you know, the same character anywhere near each other. And I thought that I timed it really well. And as Jacob was leaving, our next actor, who I'm a massive fan of, auditioning for the same role, came in and you could just see his face. He was like, well, I know. (laughs) And I was really like, oh, come on, you know. (laughs) You got this. It was just really sad because he was incredible also, just not, it just wasn't the same. Um, So that was a lovely story. Archie was just, you know, I'd been trying to cast Archie for years and then we cast him in Saltburn and then Gran Turismo in the same year. So I feel like my Archie, my Archie coins are good. Um, And then were there any other cool stories? So have you gotten like a lot of, do you get to sit on panels for it? Because it's getting so much buzz right now. Is it, how is that being a casting director? Do you get asked to do these things or do you not like them? Nobody cares about us. So normally, <laughs> no, but because the actors were on strike, they wheeled us out. Um, and I had had media training <laughs> when we were doing Anne Boleyn, but obviously probably should have had a bit more before Saltburn, but didn't. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really lovely being able to share the the share the process and feel like we're not like this hidden little part and it's great my accountant the other day was going through my VAT or whatever it is that he was doing and was like what is this and I was like ah I wore those boots for Saltburn (laughs) (laughs) you should definitely not be saying this this is going like like I'll be sat in HMRC jail Listen, I, I respect that. I tried to pull that game, uh, but my accountant would not let it fly here because so when I, I went to Sundance uh, last year and I was like, well, I went I went to Uniqlo to get all the cold things. I went here. I went there. And they're like, it, no, doesn't count. 100% does. And I will not hear otherwise. <laughs> it, it, I, I said to him, yeah, but, you know, I live in the country now. I don't wear nice clothes. I have to look good. Like this movie might go to the Oscars. We gotta, we gotta look good. <laughs> it has been nice, and it's actually what what I actually think has been the most special about this whole process is that you know we talk about the old school and whatever, and, you know, but actually people have reached out who I've been fans of for years and said some really kind things. And I remember getting on a plane. I was going to LA, and a really, really respected casting director sent me an email, and I was kind of looking at it, going, "Is that has that person just emailed me to say?" They liked my work because that's super cool. 
because I do it I do it a lot to people that I like and admire I, I, I think that we should all if you see something that you like that someone's worked on you should email them and say you've done a really good job and I really enjoyed that even if it doesn't if even if it goes unanswered just send someone the email because it will mean so much more to them than an award personally I think it Yeah, respect from your colleagues, I think is so important. And I think this like, I think a big part of it was that you are in competition with everybody or you're a threat, because I think that's the initial instinctual thing that has been dominating our industry for so long. Because I also think it's because our career, our field is a female dominated path, right? So I think that a big part of that, and this is my personal personal thing that I think that the reason why we don't get recognition or that we don't get paid the same that editors do, the same that all these other people do, is because that we're a, a female-dominated field. It's because we sit and we don't say anything. Yeah. yeah, but then if you do say something, then you're greedy or vulgar or, you know, an awful human being that everyone hates. And I, I, I really dislike that narrative. And I think, you know, you mentioned Sophie and Kelly, and I think that sometimes the three of us will get lumped in this whole kind of, oh, they're greedy and they do all the jobs and, and, and they do, and they're not editorial and they're not this. And it's like, you don't know anything about us. We do things differently. Yeah. And I think honestly, that comes from either jealousy and or people who wish they had the chutzpah <laughs> that you guys do, because it's like, I, I've had, I've run into that a lot where I, I get told that I'm mean because I stand up for myself and I won't let people take advantage of me. And the minute I do that, people are like, oh, you're too emotional. You're too mean. You're too harsh. And I'm like, no. But it's like, we know that because we know how people talk about certain actors who are difficult and then you meet them and they're not difficult. They just probably stood up for themselves one day and it probably pissed a few people off. And that's, I think, what what happens. Um, but, you know, I, I spent a couple of days with Kelly and we were both, and I don't think she'd mind me saying this, we were both kind of like, oh, I wish I'd done that that you did. And I wish I'd done that. You know, there was, it, it went both ways and there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're, I get jealous of people all the time. I just channel it into something nice. And look, I'd rather one of us were doing it than... None of us. Yeah. Or the people that are not particularly supportive. I think that's a big thing. I think, you know, I I will lump us all together of our generation. The people who are probably not supportive, they just don't know how to be because they didn't have that shown to them. So not, I just think just be kind and just be nice. And And I will say, you know, it's interesting. Again, I'm very new here, but like, I feel like the UK environment is a bit more supportive than the US environment in terms of like the generational. I disagree. I've had really, really, really massive support um, from a couple of people in particular, like Trisha Wood at Paramount has got me on some massive jobs that I probably wasn't ready for and held my hand every step of the way, you know, really gracious. It's pretty incredible to think that someone would do that and not try and trip you up, not try, you know, catch you up and put up with me. It's a bit fascinating, honestly. Like, I think because I like Trisha Wood and like, and I love people like her, but like, it's one of those things where the States is very old school. I do think the UK is a bit more open to newer ideas and or the US is when they look at the UK, they're open to newer ideas because... If you look at it, I mean, I think the UK industry in terms of casting is just younger because you had the Nina Gold, you had the, you have the older generation where there were a handful and now you have a newer crop where in LA, the older generation, there's a lot more of those to choose from so that you can continue to go to them constantly and stuff. And I, I find that in America, I get better jobs 
straight off the bat, I don't have to audition. I don't have to meet. I will go in for John Wick 4, for example. I met, didn't think I was going to get it. I didn't even know that I necessarily wanted to do it. It's not my thing, but that would never have happened in the UK. I mean, I... (laughs) But I also think that's exclusive to UK casting directors. It wouldn't be the same for American casting directors. Like if they were going to the US casting director on that side, you would get the top five names and that's it. And that's all they go to. I got sent a um, short film the other day and um, told them that I wasn't going to like meet on it because I knew the director and I knew I'd just done a short with the producers and just, it was like, I was really busy. I didn't have time. But weirdly ended up, they kind of hoodwinked me into still meeting on it. And then I just said to them, I'm not doing it um, because I found their process really disrespectful. But then I had a similar thing where I got sent a short film, met on it, and they didn't give me the job. And I was like, what? <laughs> We're not sure that you're quite the right person. And I thought, okay, well, I, I think I could do this with my eyes closed, but sure. But it, it definitely in the, you know, I just worked on something recently and I had a horrible, horrible time in the UK um, because I think that they... I, I mean, I, t- I escalated it to HR and they, the HR lady came on and said, um, so Carmel, do you have any experience on high-end film or TV? And I was... Did they not look you up? <laughs> I mean, she got savaged in an email. I sent her the email to like... <laughs> At one point in my life, publish all my salty emails because they're really good. But this email was just like, what? to what point was that statement? Either you think that I'm too young based on how I look, it's not my fault that... I go for facials every month. Or the idea is that you think that it's okay in high-end and film, high-end film and TV to be treated like that. But actually, guess what? Neither of them are correct. Good for you, though. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Good for you. You're my new hero. <laughs> I get in trouble for sending those emails. People will be like, Jen, you can't say stuff like that. And I'm like, no. But I think like human decency, most people would not dig you like that in the world. Well, they couldn't because they'd get sued. And so what I do now is I draft the email, send it to my whole office, depending on their like shock and like, (gasps) (laughs) it might temper it slightly, sit on it for a day and then I send it. (laughs) There was one time where somebody actually told my, to my face in a meeting, they're like, you're too young. And I was like, I could sue you for that. Like, you can't say I look too young and not give me the job based off it. It has to be off merit. You brought me in over my resume. I should have, I wish I had a Carmel like email to throw back at them or something. Well, I wish that I'd sued them, but I didn't. But I feel like, I feel like they know that I know that I could have. <laughs> Just dangle that. <laughs> right is right and wrong is wrong. And I'm sometimes wrong and can hold my hands up and apologize or say, do you know what? I was wrong. Let's all learn how to say it. Oh man. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's the, that is, I love that. I'm here for that. That's the new energy that I'm bringing in to the new year. Yes. Yes. So question for you. Is there anybody that is like up and coming that you want to give a shout out to? Like who's your new talent that you're like keeping your eye on that you think is just, just not seen yet? As an actor? Yeah. Or Or casting. Either. I'll do actor first, casting second. Um, Oh, who's my up and coming? Hmm. There's too many people for different things. I mean, there's way too many. I can't actually even answer that question because... Is there one actor that you've seen over the years that you, you've tried for so many things that you can't get it to land, but you like are you are determined to, tr- to keep going? Yes. But now I'm like, who is that person that I keep everyone to cast? Nobody ever listens to me. 
Um, <laughs> God, who is that person? I don't know. <laughs> so I'll say, so this is before my time or leading up to, I just, I never had that experience. So Pedro Pascal, he keeps coming up in all of our episodes for the most part. But my, I remember when he would audition for April, I never had the pleasure of, of reading him over the years, but April did a bunch of times. And she would always say like, we cannot get him arrested. And it took Game of Thrones to shift that for him. But like, I wonder, like, is there, it, who, who? God, I, I'll tell you who. I, <laughs> ah, my brain is totally gone. Um, oh my God, I literally just. We should have prepped you for this one. <laughs> Hayley Bennett, Hayley Bennett. So not new, not up and coming, but someone who I think is so incredible and just deserves everything. I'm really into her at the moment. We have just cast her in something. Um, who else? I will say there was, uh, there is, speaking of uh, Aragon, when we from earlier days in the episode um we uh ed spaliers for me oh no we didn't say aragon you said stardust but i'm gonna say aragon <laughs> yeah i was like i don't remember this <laughs> i was like I've, i haven't even drank an entire glass of wine and i don't remember you saying that. <laughs> sorry that's me i loved uh stardust also who did we talk about that with I can't remember who was a big Stardust fan but that also makes me think of Aragon because I feel like that was of the same era and for me Ed Spilleris is the one that I will always have a because he got very close on on Star Wars and there was a whole bunch of garbage that went down in that process that I think that ended up him exiting from Downton Abbey and I always I've never had the opportunity to cast him I always look for he was on my plane once with his wife and children, and he is just, you know, really nice. I've heard he's just lovely. Yeah, I will always check on him to make sure he's staying busy and then try to find something because I didn't like the way something went down in in one of the, you know, as we all have iterations of things. And that's the really difficult thing is that sometimes you wish that you could just call and say, oh, this is what really happened. Yeah, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then we had so joseph quinn as well so it was between him and um alex lawther for the end of the fucking world and i always was like joseph quinn like he must really feel really like awful every day and now he's doing perfectly fine so it all, it all comes back yes he has like female fans all over the world i hear i didn't realize that joseph quinn is like a heartthrob these days <laughs> oh yeah eddie munster all the way <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Okay, we're coming up in an hour, so we won't make you stay much longer. But we have one question we ask all of our guests. So if the world was ending tomorrow and you had one cocktail or drink to cheers the end of the world to, what is it? Mm, and like a champagne Angostura bitters. Nice. What you're having tonight. <laughs> Similar, yeah. Anything champagne. You and um, Jess Alford was the same. Jess was like, Jess Alford was like, all I want is champagne. <laughs> Decadence till I die. <laughs> Well, she, her her request was a magnum size bottle. Yes, <laughs> I wouldn't even need it, as you can tell. One glass, and I'm yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so we're excited to get to know you and uh, to see your star rise even more. Oh, thank you so much. And we wish you all the best for the future. You're gonna kill it. You're gonna be the next Nina Gold, the next Lucinda Sison, the next huge casting director so yeah your own version of all of those things who knows maybe i won't maybe i'm gonna quit next year no stop <laughs> don't even 
I don't know. I see a BAFTA in your future. And uh, on that note. I want a BAFTA and then I'm quitting. So let's hope I've got a house to pay for. (laughs) However you want to do it. It's your journey and we support you. And we say cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.